hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. She hit her financial independence number at 28 years old, spends half the year traveling the world and the other half living in Boulder, Colorado. Not too shabby. She owns six properties herself and manages 15 and counting worldwide. She's Ziona McIntyre of ZionaMcIntyre.com and does all of this with Airbnb property management and investments. And she's teaching us how she's doing it on today's Queer Money. If you need more income, more freedom, or both, this episode of Queer Money is for you. If you're struggling with financial security, this episode of Queer Money is for you. If you want to stop working for someone else or simply would rather your office be a beach, this episode is for you. Now, let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome, Ziana, to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited. I think like this is a demographic that doesn't always get to know as much about like I think the money thing is really important. And so I feel really excited to be like in this demographic. Like I really love podcasts that are like women. I love podcasts that are queer. I just like I don't know that everybody gets equal attention. I think it's really important that we all know and do our best. Yeah, exactly. David and I 100% agree with that. And the reason why I'm excited to have you on to talk about your particular expertise is because we don't think that enough queer people think about becoming geo-liberated or think about seeing how they can benefit from geo-arbitrage or even thinking about how they can leverage the gig economy to their benefit. So I think this is going to be a great opportunity for them to understand, oh, maybe this is another opportunity. Maybe going the Airbnb slash VRBO route may be an opportunity for me to step away from the cubicle um, or even just kind of increase my, my stream of income. Right. Yeah. I love it because my best friend who lives in Miami and is gay, he's the one who got me into Airbnb just to start. And oh, I wow. got really excited that I was going to be on this podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, him and his boyfriend so need to listen to you guys. <laughs> That's like, awesome. It's just really cute. Yes. Like, well, spread the word. Yeah. And, you yes, know, totally. I think one of the other interesting things about this podcast is uh, this particular episode is that. In our community, there is often this, it's an internal pressure within the community of having these fabulous homes, right? We need to have fabulous homes, nice cars, designer clothing, everything. And sometimes it's achievable and sometimes it's not. But if you have gone out there and tried to do that and you have that home and now you find that you are not able to cover all of your living expenses because your home is maybe a little too fabulous for your budget. (laughs) Yeah. Can you be too fabulous? This may be an opportunity (laughs) (laughs) that you can cover some of those expenses. Or if you have a vacation home, this is a way that you can actually potentially, she's going to help us understand how you can make some money. Exactly. So let's (laughs) give our audience a a little context of of who you are um, beyond what we've done already. So you hit your financial independence retirement number, if I understand correctly, at the age of 28. Yeah. Is that, and how do you, how does one even do that at 28? Because I think I was still trying to figure out how to balance a checkbook. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I was a little early to the game. Both of my parents were really bad with money. And I just thought like, God, there's got to be another way. You Mm -hmm. know, we can't suffer our whole lives. Like there's other people out there that are not suffering. And I didn't know how, but I figured like, if there was a way to learn it, I was going to learn it. So I very early on was reading all the like rich dad, poor dad and like rich women books and Susie Orman and watching her show and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of like very watered down material out there, but Mm -hmm. I think just having the interest and like looking for it was very helpful to get me on the path. So would you say your inspiration was mainly because your parents simply weren't good with money? Yeah, really it was because we were just so unstable and I just saw how it didn't seem normal. Like I knew that both of my parents just had bad habits. My dad really loved to treat himself. So the moment he had any money, he just spent it on anything frivolous, Mm -hmm. you know, cars and toys and things. And my mother, she was very generous and she frequently didn't have extra, but when she did, she would just give it away, but to a default of, you know, putting herself in a bad position. And so even as her child, it was really hard thinking like, wow, I don't even know if you can afford to give me some money for college. Like, just don't Mm -hmm. do it. Well, I think so this is very hard. this is very profound. I think because I, a lot of the people that we work with and talk with in our community come from this space that financial insecurity and debt are just a way of life, and they just accept it as as yeah. they've got to figure out how to tolerate that kind of an instability. And whereas you sort of lived that experience and said, "There's clearly a better way. I'm going to figure out what that better way is and, and try to make a better path for myself." Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I got lucky and stumbled upon Mr. Money Mustache, which is a popular Mm -hmm. personal finance blog. And he started around 2011 when I was like 26. And I'd already been like reading Susie Orman. So I had started with a Roth IRA and some just basic index fund investing. But I still had lots of student loan debt. And, you know, I was living frugally, but I just wasn't making much. And I think his ideas of retiring at 30, which is kind of his whole story, and now he's been retired over 10 years. Yeah, like that whole thing just really resonated with me. And I thought like, gosh, I have no idea how I could do retirement but 30, but I'm going to try. And I think really holding that vision for myself allowed it to happen. That's awesome. So what maybe two or three steps do you think you take that had the most impact on your financial outcome? when you started that early? I think the first step that was really helpful was setting a goal. And so I pretty much just stole his goal. And what they did was they saved 600,000 so that they could have 25,000 a year in dividends. So they had that spending limit. So it was him, his wife and his son. And they found that that was all that they spent after they had a paid off house. And so I thought, okay, 600,000 in a paid off house or the equivalent would be 2,500-ish a month. And so uh, since I was a student and living really frugal, I was fine with 2,000 to 2,500 a month. I really wasn't spending much. And I know that probably sounds really low to a lot of people, especially if you live in a city. But that was kind of the goal. Like, okay, how can I make that much every single month? The second thing for me was Airbnb. Like, I, I mean, that was a huge disruptor in my life and really changed everything for me. That was the point where I realized oh, I don't have to have actual 600,000 in my bank. I can just have some asset that produces that 2,500 a month that I need. And it turned out to be just renting apartments that I didn't even own. 
And so that was like the huge thing that changed it for me um, and accelerated that because I was able to do that in two years. Yeah, I, I love this idea because I think most of us think we need to have this massive dollar amount uh, yeah. in order to be able to retire. But what you've basically described here is that you have created some way of having passive or mostly passive income that you're not having to have a job to generate all this this income. It really does drive as much money as that retirement huge dollar amount would drive into your pocket. But it's not like you're out there punching the clock nine to five every single day. Absolutely. I was only, when I had that amount of money coming in, I was really just doing like five to eight hours a week of tinkering just to make it happen, talking to guests and coordinating cleaning or even cleaning myself just to like make that extra 40, 50 bucks. So yeah, if you're willing to do a little legwork, because it is kind of like a part-time gig, it definitely can change people's lives. I've seen it a lot. (laughs) And you know what I love about this is I've been asking in a number of the LGBT groups on Facebook, just asking the question of what your retirement age would be, what age do you want to retire? And I'm really surprised at the number of individuals who are, I would say, probably 40 and younger who say that they don't really ever want to retire. They're always going to want to do something. And so what you're kind of saying here is if that's really what you want is you don't ever want to retire, you may be able to reach retirement long before, as long as you're willing to put in that five to 10 hours a week or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where the whole fire movement gets a lot of flack is that it's financial independence, retire early. And most people are like, well, if you're still doing some kind of work, you're not retired. And like, I'm totally that person because I have my own business now where I manage properties all over the world. And it was just that after two years of quote unquote retirement, I was just like, okay, I'm under 30. I still want to do some things. And then you just end up tinkering and sometimes it becomes profitable and sometimes it's just hobbies. But um, I don't think that people will ever fully stop. But what's great about it is that you do something for the passion of it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And you you have that option when you are part of the FIRE community. You're no longer living by someone else's rules. And I think this is very interesting. We just actually interviewed Allison and Allie of All Options Considered on our podcast. And we had a whole discussion of what the definition of FIRE was to them. So I'm curious, Mm. because it is a little bit contentious for some people, what does the definition of FIRE mean to you? It's really all about like freedom and choice for me. You know, it's just about to waking up in the morning at the time that you want to wake up and choosing the things that you want to do because those are what fire you up, you know, Mm -hmm. not to use fire as a pun, but (laughs) um, I have a friend who says that he only like every time an opportunity comes to him, he says, is this going to create more stress in my life or not? And he won't do anything that's going to add more stress and not have enough, like just value of enjoyment. And I think that's a really good barometer. It's like, I think we are so maxed out as a society, which is all the stimulation and all the stress that we really can't be doing this to our bodies. And so it's nice to be able to choose that and to say, you know, today I don't feel like working. I'd rather go see a friend or or whatever it is. So I feel like I have a lot of that freedom. Okay, so let's dive into this. How have you structured this definition of fire for yourself? Can you explain to our audience the structure of your business and, and how it works? 
Yeah. So I do kind of three pieces. I'm a real estate investor now. So I started very simply that many people could do. I was just renting an apartment and I had a spare bedroom because I had a roommate who was moving. And at that time had known about Airbnb and thought, okay, great. I'm going to just try this out. And then if it doesn't work, I just get a roommate, you know, no loss. Um, And it ended up working well. So I kind of kept doing that. Eventually, that expanded into me owning properties. So one arm for me is just real estate investment. So I own six properties. Another thing is that I started managing homes for people. And it happened just innocently enough that someone who was a friend of mine was like, oh, I'm so busy. I can't do my Airbnb. Can you just do it? Like, would you be willing to do that? And so that just exploded for me. And I think that's a niche that so many people could get into if they were really just curious about trying it out. It's a very needed skill. And the third thing I do now is just consulting for people when they want to do like one-on-one to learn how to have a business in Airbnb or how to buy property for Airbnb. So I kind of just do it in a very lazy way. It's like if someone emails me, I'm like, okay, but I don't really do that much marketing or anything aside from like podcasts, which I just think are really fun. So yeah, it lets me be a lazy entrepreneur, you know? (laughs) I feel like that's a website. Yes, that is a lazy entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah. So you own several properties of your own that then you use sites like Airbnb and I'm guessing some others to, to rent out? Yep. Okay. And then you manage other people's Airbnbs in terms of trying to fill the spaces, I'm guessing, handle the cleaning and whatever repairs and kind of maintenance that's required? Absolutely. Now, on paper, that seems logical and something attainable. But when you actually try to implement that and you tell me that I need to go out and buy properties that I start renting out, that all of a sudden it seems like it's outside my grasp, Um, especially if I'm a bartender or a retail clerk or um, even if I'm an an attorney, it's kind of outside of my scope of, of familiarity. Or an entrepreneur yeah. who's living off of two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars a month. Right. Exactly. How in the heck sure. did you, do, you do that? How do you make that? I understand, like reading Mister Money Mustache. You're like, I can totally do this. It's one thing to be able to read it and think you can do it. It's another to implement that. So, how do you actually move forward with that idea? So, the, I think the coolest thing about Airbnb is like pretty much anyone who's listening to this could just start today. So I've heard stories of people renting just a couch in their living room, their actual room when they travel, a tent in their backyard, like an RV in their driveway. Like there's so many options and we all pretty much live somewhere, you know, so you can just start renting what you have. That's what makes that cool is that you don't really have to go out and get something extra. And then there are three ways to do Airbnb that I like to share with people. So yes, you can go and buy a property, but that's probably like the highest barrier to entry way to do it because you're going to need a down payment. You're going to need all the furniture. Maybe that's like 50,000 to a hundred thousand in startup costs just to get a house and then know that you know enough about real estate that you're not going to buy a dog. You know, (laughs) the second way is property management. So, you know, you're going out there and just managing someone else's property. So what that looks like is essentially it's their place. It's all furnished. You don't have to do anything, but just collect a percentage off the top. So that's a really easy way when someone wants to get started, has a little experience with already renting out their own place. And then they just kind of pursue friends and family and say, Hey, you know, I only make money when you make money, so you don't have to pay me anything to start. Let's just get a percentage going. And so that's like a great way for a lot of people to get in without much of a barrier. 
The middle ground there, the third way, is called master leasing. And so what that looks like is just renting a property with the owner's permission that you're going to do Airbnb with. And there are plenty of people that are open to that concept. And so the expense there is the furniture. You have to furnish it yourself unless you find one that's furnished. So maybe you're spending you know, six to 10,000 depending and first month's rent, security deposit. So there is a little bit of a investment in that one, but it gives you a lot more control. You make a lot more money than if you were just managing someone else's place. So there's, there's a lot of ways to get started that don't require just going out and buying a property. That last scenario sounds like a great fit for somebody who lives in a desirable part of town and yeah. maybe has a roommate or had a roommate, that roommate is now gone and they're looking to fill the spot. But maybe instead of doing a long-term roommate, they just do Airbnb and are able to earn as much or maybe even more doing it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how it started for me is I was like, wow, I'm paying my whole rent with just this one room and then some. Yeah. And There are a lot of people that own something and they only own one property and it's enough for them to be quote unquote retired with, that they get enough cash flow from it. And generally with like traditional real estate, if you're just going to have rental properties that are long term, sometimes people need like 10 or 15 to cover their whole salary because they make so little each month. So it is really like a game changer. Well, if I'm following correctly, then you can maybe charge more on a week-to-week basis through an Airbnb option as opposed to a long-term rental? Yeah, it's about, well, it can come out to be like twice as much from market rate is usually kind of an average there. So is that how you would estimate what you could charge on a week-to-week basis by maybe doing some, they don't do sold comps, but what rentals are going for in your neighborhood? It's pretty easy to check. So if you go on Airbnb, you can put in your exact address and on the map, you'll see different places in your area. Um, And you can kind of get an just like an assessment based on all of the different people, like how nice it is compared to yours, how many rooms it is. You can get a pretty good idea. There's also a website called AirDNA.co and you can pay for really extensive analytics on an area or they have a couple of little freebie things that you can play with, little tools. And they'll talk about what they think you'll make in a year, what your average daily rate would be, and then what your average occupancy would be. Although that's a little misleading because every place has seasons. And Mm. so sometimes it's going to be higher and lower. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Okay, so let's let's set the bar low. Say I have a two-bedroom, two-bathroom condo. My long-term roommate decides to move out. Now I've got this essentially extra spare room and bathroom. You're not talking about me, are you? No, sir. You're not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) What would, if, and and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this, this, this podcast is inspiring me. I don't want to dive in too deep because I'm not sure how committed I am or if I can even do this. But this uh, renting out my spare room and my bathroom is within the realm of possibility. What would you suggest are the first couple of steps to start researching or even executing on this? Yeah, so I would definitely do that Airbnb thing first, like go in there and tinker around and see what the pricing is. 
I would say like build the listing. So you, you can build a listing without publishing it and it teaches you a lot. So you get to kind of get an idea of like, how far in advance do I need to know how, like, am I going to be cleaning it myself? Like all these little things that you're maybe not thinking about, how much do I want to charge for cleaning? So it'll start prompting you with all these different questions. I feel like you learn a lot by doing that. You also really need to make sure that it's like furnished well you get what you pay for, you know? So if you have a place that looks like a college dorm and you kind of have like junky photos, people are not going to pay that much for it. But if you spend even just like an extra $500 and get like really stylish, cute stuff and have like rugs and, you know, some plants or something that makes it look really lived in and cozy, that'll go a long way. And I think What's hard is a lot of people want to cut corners at the get-go, but mm -hmm. you really want to invest it. Even if it's stuff that you're getting off Craigslist or thrift stores, you can find like cool stuff that makes your place a little bit different, mm -hmm. stand out. And so I put my place up on Airbnb. I'm promoting it. Or what, Mr. B&B. Or, yeah, or Mr. B&B yeah. or VRBO. Or, you know, there are any number of sites that you consider listing on. Maybe, I mean, that's a great question. Do you list on all of these sites or do you choose just one or two? Well, I'm listed on three right now, but we have been looking into Mr. B&B. There are probably hundreds, maybe even a thousand sites that you can list on. So it would be wow. really complicated to be on all of them. So you kind of try to just go with the ones that are the biggest producers. And so what I'm on is VRBO or HomeAway. They're the same company, Airbnb and Booking.com which is really big in Europe and mm -hmm. a lot of other markets. So yeah, those are good places to start, but there is like TripAdvisor and Mr. B&B and there's lots of others. Okay. So I, I put my, I decided which platform I want to promote my, my room and my bathroom, my spare room and bathroom on. And I go ahead and start searching for people to, to or I guess people start searching for, for me. What level of engagement do I need to have with the guest? Am I expected to kind of be like a host or is it kind of once they get a key and we explain the ground rules, they're kind of on their own? Am I a concierge? How much are we spending time John. together? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how many extra features. Like if you wanted to be a concierge, you could make money on all the extras. You know, you could be like, oh, cool coordinating trips and doing different tours and stuff. But generally, people are pretty light about it. Mm -hmm. It's like you host as much as you want. And you can set expectations on Airbnb ahead of time that you're like around or and you want to do hikes with them or you're just like pretty keep to yourself. And here's the basics. But generally, if you want to keep people kind of independent, it's good to make like a house manual. So I have one of those that I have oh, also online, but you can print it out and have it in a little binder. And it just has like restaurants and things to do and basic like how to use the house, how to use the TV remotes. So it's not very big and it doesn't take long. You do it one time and it's there. But it is really good because all the questions, you can kind of direct them to the house manual and it helps them be really independent. Right. And nice. then as you you have guests come and go and you see like a reoccurring theme of questions, that might be something you can add to the book as, as you kind of get more experience with it. Yeah, absolutely. What any other steps that you would suggest to help get started with renting out this room and bathroom? I feel like it can be really simple. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. So mm -hmm. I think even for some people, they might just do a couple of rentals to make sure they like it before they invest more money into making their place nicer. You know, so I just say like get started because I think especially with real estate, a lot of people have this like analysis paralysis thing where they like need to crunch all the data and and listen to all the podcasts before they can do anything. <laughs> 
and that you just need to do it. Well, yeah, you know? and all you really need to do is listen to this podcast, and then you're you're ready. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, your point makes a lot of sense because people, I do think, get analysis paralysis, but you don't have to like splash Hilton on the front of your your apartment uh, as soon as yeah. you you become open for business. You can sort of scale up. So if you've got a couple hundred dollars to fix your place up a little bit with, and then you can create your little manual and understand um, to what level of engagement you're going to have with your guests. Have two or three or four guests come. Use the money that you earn from that. If you decide you want to continue, then maybe you invest more money to make your place a little bit nicer and you can start to charge maybe a little bit more and you yeah. can kind of learn the ropes and, and scale up. The next thing you know, maybe you decide to move out of that apartment. Now you're renting or Airbnb a two-bedroom, two-bathroom space and you've got your own place for, for your own privacy and then you can kind of maybe continue to grow your empire like that. Yeah. yeah. There's a guy, I was at a meetup recently, and he owns a place in Boulder and a place in Westminster, which is like a town, maybe half an hour from here. I think you guys are in Denver normally, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you know. But just for people listening. But he says that he just rents rooms in his house here in Boulder, and it's enough to pay for his mortgage here and his mortgage in Westminster in the summertime when it's our like high season. Wow, and wow. he, I mean, they're kind of hustlers, but him and his wife will even take like the couch They'll just like fold out the sofa bed and and deal with that if they can get both rooms rented. But wow. they have a goal in mind, you know, and I think like it is really cool to see people being scrappy like that. And that's sort of how I started, too, is I was going between two apartments for a long time. And it was really just like whatever place booked, I was out and I was going to be at the other place. So, yeah. yes, it was inconvenient. But sometimes if you got like a little hustle in your bones you can make things happen faster for yourself. Have you ever heard of people who do this teaming up to be buddies when somebody gets booked, they go to the other person's house for the night? <laughs> yeah, well, I've done it in relationships, but I've never um, <laughs> had a friend. That was like a great idea. But what I did have was I had a few friends that were like, cool to trade for other things. Like I would like babysit or I was a massage therapist at the time. So I would just like do massages for credit to like do trades nice. um, if I had to stay at other people's houses. So yeah, you can always work out something, you know, cook breakfast. <laughs> right. Well, well, I think your point, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you got to figure, what is your goal? Why would you want to Airbnb place that you're living in or even other places that you might own what is your ultimate goal and focus on what that goal is and sort of right. let that drive your level of of hustle yeah. and if you yeah. if you're if you're struggling right now because your expenses are higher than your income this might be a solution and if you really want to solve that problem maybe sleeping on the couch a few weeks out of the year makes sense for now. And like we said earlier, you can scale up until this could be a primary or a self-sustaining stream of income. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I think it's great for individuals who are trying to dig themselves out of debt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you want to pay off your credit card debt as fast as possible, this is a solution. I will just say what is kind of interesting is that before there was this concept, John and I actually had a roommate who stayed with us two weeks out of the month because he worked in Denver, but his husband's lived in Portland. We used the income from renting to him for two weeks out of the month to basically redo that room and then pay down some of our debt. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes. You were already early on that track. Yeah. yeah we didn't even know it. Yeah, fact, I don't know why we it. didn't keep that up. We should have <laughs> kept that up. <laughs> so I can't imagine that everybody is a right fit for this kind of a business model. Do you have an idea of, of, of maybe what type of personality is a good fit for this business model? 
I mean, if you're going to have people in your home, you'd probably want to be of the more social type. And I would say I'm kind of like a social introvert. Like I love people and I love community and I love like chatting, but I also get really tired and I need like alone time. So I think it's good for me in like bursts to have people in my house because it was so fun to like live vicariously through their traveling adventures and like take them out to dinner with me or like say, hey, you want to go for a hike? And so it was like a built-in friend, but you could also, you know, they're gone a lot of the day and you have time to yourself. So it was really good for me. But I think if some people just like don't like people and they're not very social, they might want something more disconnected from their living space. Mm -hmm. So you can have like a separate entrance or you can have like a basement unit or even just another apartment that they don't live with you. Those people are a lot more hands off. You know, they don't even inquire that much. If you've got a good house manual, it's really not much work. You don't meet them ever. So that can be really hands off. So it sort of just depends. I'm trying to think like who it wouldn't be good for at all. But I think as long as you can like be basically organized, I've seen people all ages do it. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's harder if you have a full-time job, I guess is what I would say. Do you find that most people who are renting an Airbnb are gone a lot? Because I mean, they're, they're typically there to see a different city or to see hang out with people in that in that area. So they're probably gone much of the day and possibly even during the night, right? They're just yeah. coming back to sleep, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best part about it is it's kind of low wear and tear because people are not really hanging out that much. Right. You know. Right. I mean, you don't travel so. to a different city just to hang out on the couch and watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on the weather, but yeah. Right. In right. general, we don't even like provide cable. You know, we have like Netflix and stuff just for that reason that I just like hope people are out enjoying a place. But yeah, you know, every once in a while, I guess some people are retreating to the house. Do you ever see individuals? You do. You mentioned this idea that it may not be good for someone who has a full-time job. But you ever see individuals who only make the space available maybe Friday evening through Monday morning or Friday evening through Sunday evening or something like that? And they're able to do it? I think that's the best because you have all the flexibility in the world. You know, you have full control over it. And Mm -hmm. I think like when I first was starting and it was in my apartment with me, I kind of had this idea that like, wow, this is the perfect roommate. Like when I get tired of people, like when they've just stayed long enough, they're gone, (laughs) you know? And then if I was really tired, I could just block off the calendar for a couple of days. But naturally there's going to be a few vacancies here and there. And that gives you a little bit of a break. But I found for the most part, it was just the newness that kept it really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a new person with a new story and coming to town for something that I didn't even know that our town was doing. And (laughs) yeah, you just kind of like get really into the events from other people, which is fun. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how many times we've said this, that wherever we've been living, like, we've never done that. And people come to town for that or have asked us if we've done it. We're like, no, we have no clue that that was happening. (laughs) You do learn a little bit about your own. You can put it down on the calendar then for people in the area. This is what to do next year. Well, so this sounds completely fascinating to me because it sounds like if I'm following everything correctly, you can really design this to accommodate your unique needs and personality. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, you know, build on it. I think what's really cool is that a lot of people who really start to like it, then they start to figure out like, yeah, you know, sleep on your couch, but also, you know, can I get like an RV that I could just have sitting in the backyard? Or could I offer up 
something else. Like people just start figuring out ways to expand. Mm -hmm. So it's an exciting prospect. What are the most common mistakes that you see people when they first dive into this idea? I feel like people have junky photos for too long. Like generally you're going to take some phone photos at the beginning just to have a placeholder so that like something is up on the website, but it really does make a difference. And I think it's really important to have professional photos. And Mm. even if that's like a gig photographer or someone you find on Craigslist or whatever, but they have a really good camera, Mm -hmm. that's a really good step. So you can get pretty good photos for like a hundred bucks and Airbnb, they offer discounted photos through their site. So if you're in an area that they cover, which is most places, you should be able to get something that's pretty reasonable. That's nice. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, people are seeing your place for the first time online. You want to give them the the best representation of that as possible in order to entice them to actually to to buy into the Airbnb or whatever option you decide to choose. Yeah. I would say people also can skimp on things that I don't think are worth skimping on. Like, you know, they might not have like tables by the bed or lamps. It's like kind of basic stuff that people just are going to need no matter what. Like, you know, they want a place to set a glass of water. They want to read a book. It's good to just have some basics. You don't Mm -hmm. want the home to look like totally minimalist (laughs) unless that's your aesthetic. But I think sometimes people are just a little too bare bones about it or they get like really, really cheap thin towels or really junky sheets. And it's like, spend just a little bit extra, like those things do wear out and Mm -hmm. it's going to show really fast. So I think that maybe the best thing to do is to go through your place as if you're listening to your mother-in-law critique it (laughs) and then make (laughs) sure that she's happy. (laughs) You better have her come out for the weekend. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) I'll be kind. (laughs) So what three to five actionable steps on this in particular would you recommend somebody do to start executing on an Airbnb? So I would go back to that idea of setting a goal. I think that's a really important thing is like, why are you doing this in the first place? Because I think the days that are hard or the people that are annoying or the nights that are late, like you need to have that goal that brings you back to your why. Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying to go to this retirement thing or I, you know, want to save up for a house that I actually own or, or whatever it is, you know, what ounce of freedom is it going to give you? Then I'd say second, really having that number in mind. I think, yes, 600,000 can sound like a lot for some people just starting out, but it's better to know that it's 600,000 than like, I don't know, it might be like $3 million that I need to retire. You know, because when you have that actual number, I think it really helps you say, okay, like I have 25,000, that's X amount of time closer to that $600,000 goal. So those would be like the first two. Mm -hmm. Then I'd say for sure, get on Airbnb. I think Airbnb is the most user-friendly site out there. So even if you're just like playing with it today, go tinker on it, you Mm -hmm. know, create an ad for some space in your home, even if it's like your whole apartment just for the weekend that you're going to be out of town and you don't have to list it, but it will teach you a lot. You know, I would say, give it a whirl, give it a shot, see how it works for you. I do really think that it can change people's lives in huge ways. I think in this, like I live in Boulder, which is quite expensive. And for a lot of people, they couldn't afford their mortgages without Airbnb. And I think it just gives you a lot more flexibility and freedom if that's a goal that you really have that you want to own something. So we have a lot of 
people in our community who are struggling with financial security, and this could be help be a solution for that. But we also have a lot in our community who love to travel, and that's kind of what I'd like to talk about next. Sure. At least according to your website, you travel five months out of the year, and so far you've been to forty five different countries. <laughs> and that's yeah. all. Is that all because of your Airbnbs or your, the business models that you've created? No, I think it's really just, I mean, Airbnb allows me to do that. So that was kind of a big thing for me when I was a massage therapist. The hard thing is that you couldn't really leave your clients more than like two weeks or they would start to freak out and look for someone else. And you have to be there, you know, like it's a trade that you are physically there for an hour or whatever amount of time to get an hour's worth of money. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that wasn't going to be sustainable for me because I've always loved to travel. And so the cool thing about Airbnb now is that like I can be on a beach somewhere far away and I'll get a little ding and a booking has come in for $800. And it wasn't like I was working $800 harder. I was just sitting there, you know? So I think that allows for a lot of flexibility. I think what else is really cool about it is so much of it is happening online. You're communicating with guests online. You're doing all the bookings. You're maybe communicating with your cleaner. It's like on your phone or via email. So there's just not much that has to happen in person that requires you to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a lockbox for the key. Um, they can let themselves in. They've got their house manual and you're always just an email away. So even though you have to be available and that's kind of expected of you, the trade-off is it doesn't matter where you are. Right. Yeah. You can just be available on the beach <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as opposed to available in an office. Right. <laughs> and I think something that you, t- you touched on a little bit there is the concept of, and that many people are living with is trading time for dollars. I mean, there are, yeah. there are people who have to be at a certain location for a certain period of time, whether they've got anything to do or not, they've still got to stay there. And whereas yeah. you've kind of built this lifestyle where you don't actually have to trade time for dollars, the income can continue to come whether or not you're lying on the beach or, or sitting at your, your computer. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think when you have more time on your hands too, then you can start to like learn and develop other skills. So like for me, I got really excited about travel hacking because it was something I wanted to know how to do and I love to travel. So, you know, it gives you that extra time to say, oh, I'll move some bank accounts around or, oh, I'll open up a credit card for this X amount of time and and know that I need to spend a certain amount of money there so I can get all these bonuses, you know, because some of that takes a little time to track. Yeah, if you've got a little more time, then you can read up on those things. Right. So, and so you're you're getting good at increasing your income, but you're also getting good at managing your expenses. So your margins become wider and you have that much more flexibility. Yeah. And you can kind of market a bunch of things to get extra credits through your Airbnb. So like I have my links for like Lyft and for Uber and for Turo, which is like a car sharing website like Airbnb. I put all those links in the house manual for people so that they can get credit if they open an account, but I also get credit. And so that's helped me extend my travel too. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So I want to take a little bit of a, a look back. And the part of the reason I want to take a little bit of a look back is I know that many of you who are listening, you think, well, I have to have a lot of money to be able to do this. I have to have a lot of, I have to have a home. I have to have this space. And just, I want to take this look back. And so when you started this, you had a two bedroom apartment, you were mm-hmm. making two thousand $2,500 a month. And you had basically a full-time job, right? And 
So what was it about you that said, I, I mean, I just think of a lot of individuals who may be in that same situation in our community, maybe thinking to themselves, I don't have any opportunity. I can't do anything like this. I don't make enough money. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they think of all yeah. these, you know, and, and some of that may be personal. You know, we, we have, our, we all have our own limiting beliefs. So what was it about you that said, this is what I can do. I'm going to go give this a shot. Yeah. So when I started, I mean, the only thing I really had on my side is I already had the apartment and I already had it furnished. So I had been renting it furnished to the roommate who was leaving. And so the furniture was already there. But really, I didn't know anything about how much money was going to come in or not. And I was a student at the time and I was working for like $12 an hour at a retail shop. So I didn't really have a lot of assets, you know, and I, I was in a lot of debt and everything. I just listed it and just gave it a shot. And at the time it was 2012. So Airbnb was not really well known and it wasn't very busy in Boulder. Now Boulder's like a huge market for it. But before it was like, yeah, it'll do great in like LA and New York, but Boulder who's, you know, where is that? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't getting booked all the time, but it was still booking for like 50 to $75 a night. And so at first it was just like, wow, okay, it's covering what she used to pay. And then it started covering the whole rent. And then it started covering like a little bit extra. So like as the months went along and I was learning more, I also got to decide, oh, okay, well, if I'm cleaning it, maybe I should charge a cleaning fee. Let's see how much I can charge without affecting the bookings and things like that. So yeah, there's a little bit of a process to get started, but I, I think that it's very doable, especially if someone has like an eye for style or they're kind of a little techie or they're just excited about being a host, like just kind of a hospitable person who is excited to have people around. I think it's really a no brainer. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take much to get started. I think I, I love what you're doing. It sounds like you're just saying, you know, just just do it, give it a try. We have a, a friend who just, uh, Ruth Sukup, who just published a book called Do It Scared. And yeah. we have all these reasons for why we can't do things. And and, and, the, and the, you know, there's more to her book than this. But the whole idea is, you know, just do it. No matter how scared yeah. you are, don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. Just try it. You know, do a little bit of investigative research and, you know, listen to this podcast, check out uh, Ziana's website, do a little bit of research, maybe even connect with her to get some actionable steps to get started or whatever training that she can provide, but just, just give it a try. I mean, it's, it's right. within everyone's realm of possibility, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I think one of the other things that you alluded to is that you don't actually have to own or have a place to rent. You do kind of a property management portion of this too. None of some of these aren't even your property, right? Yeah, I manage about 15 that are not my property. So yeah, you can easily do that. I think it's good to get a little bit of experience like tinkering with your own place before you uh, try oh, out okay. all of your um, you know, mistakes on someone else's place because you're going to make some <laughs> mistakes, but you know, they're not the end of the world. Right. But yeah, I think it is an easy thing is just getting out there and letting people know that you're available for that service because you'd be surprised how many people you already know relatives or friends that might have a place like a lake house or a cabin somewhere that they're not using. And it really could help them make extra money to cover their costs or, you know, and also help you make a little extra. And I think a good rule of thumb is that it's pretty easy for like a, a normal house, nothing luxury 
to get 500 to 1000 a month per property that you're just managing for someone else. So if it's like a, a two bedroom apartment or a two or three bedroom home, that's pretty easy to do. Wow. Nice. That's yeah, that's that sounds awesome. So if somebody wants to get some more information, where can they find more information about you and your businesses? And how could they if they were interested in some level of coaching, like you alluded to earlier, how could they get that? Yeah. So my website is my name, zianamcintyre.com. And yeah, they could just message me through the website. I have tons of podcasts that I've been on and a lot of blogs that just talk about specific subjects in the matter of Airbnb and real estate and a little early retirement. So that's a really great resource to start. But yeah, I love when people reach out just so I know they're there. Nice. That's <laughs> awesome. And then can they follow you on social media anywhere? Yeah, I have Instagram and Facebook mostly. I have a Twitter, but I don't use it that much. So I'd say those are the best bets. They can find me by searching my name. I can also send it to you so you can have it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely put put it in the show notes. So cool. cool. I think this has been super informative. And I'm actually, even though we don't necessarily own our own place right now, this has got me very intrigued. Maybe this is something we need to dive into sooner rather than later, Mr. Alton Schneider. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys travel a lot. You should have that place rented right now. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Ziana, for sharing your wealth of experience with owning and managing rental properties through sites like Airbnb and Mr. B&B. The advice you shared is easy to follow and within the grasp of most of us. If you, our listeners, want more time or money freedom, we hope you consider the advice Ziana shared today. As we mentioned, you can ease your way into becoming a rental owner and scale your business as your comfort and income increase. Ziana built what she has today over seven years. Think of where you can be seven years from now. We'll talk with you next week on Queer Money when we spread the idea of financial independence throughout the LGBTQ community. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.